Good morning. I'm really excited about the message today because I need it. And um, if I need it, perhaps some of you do also. As I pray this morning, I'm going to use the visual that I used um, last time I preached about a month ago, and that is of the empty chair. And I'm not going to re-explain that. If you um, are totally confused, go back and listen to my message. But in my office, I have an empty chair. And I envision that Christ himself is seated in that chair. So it's not really an empty chair. It's a um, throne that is occupied by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I sometimes will sit in my chair and um, pray and talk um, to Jesus. Sometimes I'll stand, sometimes I'll kneel. And so as I start this morning, um, let me lead us in prayer. Um, dear Jesus, we come today and we come with a lot of stuff out of our past this last week. And some of those worries and concerns just seem like they do not leave us. Um, some of us have things coming this week that we don't know how we're going to handle. And so we want to commit those things to you. But each one of us, I know that we come and we need to hear a message from you. So we're going to ask that you would send your spirit and that you would work powerfully through your word in the life of each one of us. And we pray that in your matchless name. Amen. This morning, you did not wake up wanting to do this. Neither did I. But you probably already have. There's no one here too young or too old not to experience this. You do not outgrow it. You and I don't like it about others. We probably don't like it about ourselves when we do it. Others don't like being around us. We may not even like being around ourselves when we do this. It does us absolutely no good, but we still do it. Pete in Philippians has been leading us talking about grace on fire. And without our hearts being on fire with grace, we would be utterly and thoroughly given to this in the fallen, broken world in which we live. What am I talking about? I'm talking about kvetching, complaining. You may say you heard me talk about kvetching before, and I did about a dozen years ago. And you know what? I'm still doing it. So I figured I might need to preach it again and work on myself. We live in a world that's full of kvetchers. And we kvetch seemingly nonstop. Kvetching. Some of you know the word. I learned the word a number of years ago. And I really love it because it sounds so expressive. I know it sounds just about nasty too. But it's um, so expressive. It's a Yiddish word um, that means griping. Complaining, grumbling, whining, continually and incessantly. Literally, it means to squeeze or to pinch. And that's exactly what it does. Complaining really imprisons us. It binds us and others when we do it. Convetching consumes and it destroys and it robs us. And if we could see the harm that convetching does to our own hearts, or to the hearts of others. It would be a real eye-opener to us. If we're honest with ourselves, we realize that 
so often we do not take complaining very seriously, or at least when we do it, we just sort of think, well, everybody does it. I can do it. We have the right to do that. We live in a world full of kvetching. So what's the big deal? Let me tell you a story. It's sort of a silly story, but maybe you can find yourself in it. It's about a poor man who lived with his wife and six children in a one-room house. And he complained so much that his wife finally said, hey, you need to go see the rabbi and tell him about this and get some help. So he went to the rabbi and he told him about his life and how it could not be worse living in one small room with his wife and six children. And so the rabbi said, do you want my help? And if you do, you must promise to do what I tell you to do. The man promised that he would do whatever the rabbi said. So the rabbi followed that with another question. He said, do you have any farm animals? And he said, yeah, I have a couple chickens and I have a cow and I have a goat. And so the rabbi said, well, when you go back home, I want you to move all of those animals into your house. Well, the man had promised, so he has to do it. The next day he goes back to the rabbi and he says, okay, this isn't working. Obviously you can't live with animals in your house. And the rabbi says, yes, I understand. Um, Take the two chickens out. God bless you. So he goes back home, takes the two chickens out. Next day, he's back at the rabbi and says, this isn't working. The goat is eating everything inside. He says, okay, take the goat out. God bless you. Next day, he goes back and he says, you cannot live with a cow in your house. It is horrible. Um, Now, before I tell you what the rabbi said, um, let me say this. Um, Last week, I had the privilege of going with a friend to his ranch, and he has 100 cows. I learned all kinds of things about cows, things I really don't need to know, but we were tagging cows um, with these tags in their ears, and um, there were some local um, Florida cowboys who showed up to help us with those cows, and they did unspeakable things to some of these cows, and I got educated. And I now know that a cow is not just a cow. I know that there are bulls and there are steers and there are heifers and there are little calves. And I know a lot more about cows than I need to know. But the main thing I learned about cows is that they are nasty. Now, if you see some cows in the field, they are cute and they are fine and they are clean looking But you put 30 cows in a corral and these Florida cowboys tell you, now get them all over here to go through this little slough. Um, It is scary. And they're as scared of you as you are of them, but they're a lot bigger than you. Okay? And so the, the cowboys say, you guys just walk straight through the middle of them. And they're all like this. Well, the main thing I found out is that cows are really, really nasty. They are undomesticated. They stink. And they stink for a reason. Now, this rabbi, he tells the guy, okay, take the cow out of your house. Um, God bless you. Well, the guy goes back the next day to the rabbi, so happy. And he says, rabbi, you wouldn't believe it. Our house seems so big and spacious And we've cleaned it up and everything is wonderful. Um, 
a lot of times it depends on our perspective of how we see things, doesn't it? Today, I hope we can get a new perspective. Martin Luther, as he would talk about God's word, would say, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. And may it do that to us today as we read God's word. In Philippians 2, it says, therefore, my, de- my dear friends, beginning with verse 12, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And then he tells us what God's will is for us. It's not very complicated. He says, verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. This morning, I have a number of questions for you and me. The first question is, is kvetching a problem for us? What about you? Is kvetching a problem for you? What would those close to you say about that? How many of your words build up and how many of your words tear down? Um, Where would you be on the balance there? Too often, we go throughout life kvetching about everything, it seems. Right now in your life, what is there for you to complain about? There may be some really good things that you could complain about, but what is there that um, you find yourself complaining about more than anything else? Mark Twain said it this way, don't complain and talk about your problems. 80% of the people don't care. The other 20% think you deserve them. (laughs) I love airports um, because you see people sort of... um, I guess, usually at their worst, um, as they're traveling. And travel agents report hearing complaints like these. Um, On my holiday to India, I was disgusted to find that almost every restaurant served curry. I don't like spicy food at all. Wrong country to visit, okay? Another, following a trip to a theme park, one woman complained that the sun was so hot that it melted her ice cream. Can you imagine? (laughs) And then the Associated Press had a couple stories. Um, One of a man who robbed a Wendy's in Atlanta. And he was so upset at the small amount of cash that he stole that he called the restaurant twice to complain. (laughs) But then it tells one even better of a man from Syracuse, New York, who robbed a bank. He had handed the teller a note saying, um, $20,000 in the bag, please. And he actually got home and he realized that he had been shortchanged. He was smart enough to go back to the bank to let them know that he'd been shortchanged and he was arrested. Um, What about us? Is complaining a problem for us Day in and day out. Um, you know, I've, I've learned to try to say things a different way when I'm encountering things, and that is this, um, which is generally true. If this is the worst thing that happens to me today, praise the Lord. 
So think about the things that um, you tend to complain about. If this is the worst thing that happens to you today, praise the Lord. For me, sometimes it's really hard to open my mouth um, and not complain. And then I think about my heart and the things that I don't say, but that I think um, that are certainly complaints. And it shows the condition of my heart. Let me just say that Jesus deeply cares about that. Second question, how much do we kvetch? And what are the things that we kvetch about? I would boil our complaining down to three areas. The first thing is we complain about other people, generally those who are different from us. Knowing what I was going to preach about, a number of friends sent me some quotes on kvetching or complaining this week. One was this from John Smith. He said, criticism is the disapproval of people, not for having faults, but having faults different from your own. That's pretty good. A guy named Emmett Fox says, criticism is an indirect form of self-boasting. What we do is we rip others and we give ourselves a pass so often. We cast stones way too easily at others, but we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. And then we point out the speck in the eyes of others, but fail to see the log in our own eyes. Scott Brown sent me a quote from Benedict, a monastic from the fifth century. Complaining is the cancer that destroys community. So true. Um, Whether that is the relationship in a friend or with a friend or in a family or in with God, with um, even in a church. And then Jack sent me one from C.S. Lewis. Now this one is heavy. Lean in and listen. C.S. Lewis says about complaining, hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you are still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it. But there may come a day when you can no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it. But just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. So we certainly find ourselves complaining about um, people, usually different from us. Um, We complain also about um, those in authority, perhaps over us, whether it's work or family, whether it's politics or church. Um, And much of my counseling over the years, I was amazed to find how much um, I dealt with people and their work relationships, especially with their bosses. Um, And I I feel like I don't even really need to develop this point that we um, complain about those in authority because we all know that it's true and so many of us tend to do that. Thirdly, we complain about our circumstances. And again, I don't think I have to um, build the case too much. That's probably um, a major thing that we complain about, our circumstances. And sometimes our circumstances are pretty tough. Um, is perhaps best illustrated in the story of Bro- Brother Baku. He entered a, a monastery of silence 
And the head friar said, Brother Baku, you're welcome here, but this is a silent monastery, and you can only speak when you are given permission to speak. So five years into his stay there, um, the head friar told him, um, you have two words that you can speak. And he said, hard bed. The head friar said, okay, well, we'll try to do something about that. Five more years pass. Brother Baku, you may say two more words. He says, cold food. Okay, we'll do something about that. 15th anniversary comes. Brother Baku, you have two more words to say. And he'd been thinking about it for a long time. And he said, I quit. (laughs) And then the head friar says, that's probably best. You've done nothing but complain ever since you've been here. (laughs) So... Um, you know, in reality, our complaining is actually complaining against God himself. And we learn more about that from our next question. How long has kvetching been a problem since the beginning, actually since the fall? Wasn't that the essence behind the first sin, a complaint? In the Old Testament, we see a good bit of complaining. The Israelites complained of the manna that God provided for them to eat. They even wanted to go back to Egypt, to captivity. Others complained that Moses was elevated to be the leader. Numbers 14, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron saying, if only we had died in Egypt or in the desert. And then Exodus 6, so Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, after speaking to them about God's amazing deliverance, He says, who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Have we ever considered that our complaining, even about the mundane, might truly be a complaint against the Lord? I'm convinced that no one got up this morning um, wanting to be a grump. Um, Maybe a couple of you. I'm not sure, but we joke about it. God takes our complaining really seriously because ultimately our complaints are against him. Now, I'm not talking about a healthy dialogue and evaluation. I'm not saying that we deny our hurts and our pains. I'm not saying that we lie and do not tell the truth or that we can't deal with tough issues. There is, however, a line that we cross way too quickly and we go to complaining. You and I, we know the difference between a healthy dialogue and evaluation and incessant whining that we so easily can fall into. And if you are mentally right now making a defense for why it's okay for you to complain, you might think more deeply about this in the state of your own heart. I know I've had to. The biblical writers, they are honest with God and their struggles. They ask the tough questions. The psalmists share their hearts and their struggles with the Lord, as do Job um, and Habakkuk and many others. I'm talking about the incessant whining, the constant criticism that we can fall into. And we're really such an interesting people because Some people complain because God puts thorns on roses while others praise God for putting roses among thorns. Which are you this morning? To tell you the truth, um, 
you're hearing this message because of me and my condition. And I have complained to God a good bit about a lot of things. And I actually um, need a sermon on it. So here I am. Um, I kvetch too much. Before working on the sermon, I would have told you, I don't complain that much. But as I start examining myself, I think I do. And I start hearing again the unspoken words, and it gets even worse. But when I read God's word, his manual for how we are are to live, I'm challenged with this thought. Do I pray about things more than I pray, or, or do I pray about things more than I complain about them? And sometimes I find that I don't do that. Um, something came to my attention last night. I was in my office here and I received a phone call um, from a family member. And there's a situation in our family um, that not everyone knows about yet. Um, and it's a serious situation. It's a situation um, that is worthy of complaining about, if anything's worthy to be complained about. But I sat there and I thought, okay, I'm right here talking about praying or complaining. What should I do? Um, And so I started praying. And I realized once again, what good would it do for me to complain about it? Now, I know you're probably looking around trying to find my family members and figure out who knows and who doesn't and what it is and all that. Maybe I'll share next week when we talk about gratitude. Um, But... Um, just know that we are to pray about things more than we are to complain about them. As Pete has been walking us through Philippians, we've heard things about the beauty of being called my beloved. We've heard about our citizenship in heaven and to consider how we might exercise that citizenship in a manner worthy of the gospel. We've been called in our passage today to continue to work out our salvation. And then Paul tells us what his will for us is. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. Um, That's how simple he states it. Another question, why do we kvetch? Simply put, we kvetch because we're focusing in the wrong place. We too often too often are focused upon ourselves. And Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that our focus must be elsewhere. Paul had just told the Philippians and us to look out not only for our own interest, but also for the interest of others. And the problems that the Philippians had and that we have is that we so often focus upon ourselves. And we live in a culture that tells us to focus on ourselves. I ran across a book that was written by a college professor, Barbara Held, and it was entitled Stop Smiling, Start Kvetching, A Five-Step Guide to Creative Complaining. And then the subtitle, Help Has Arrived for the Chronically Cheerful. (laughs) If she's greeted on the street with a pleasant, hi, how are you? She's never going to say, fine, thanks, and how are you, which that's fine not to say that, but she generally will say, I hate life. And then the chapter titles are very interesting. Basic kvetching, why we need to kvetch. Obstacles to creative kvetching. Your inalienable right to kvetch. 
You can't kvetch to all the people all the time. Do not pretend you aren't kvetching when you are. And tell you the truth, I think I might like some of the book. Um, it certainly sounds interesting. But we live in an amazing world, don't we? I found a site online that said this, the place to kvetch. And then it says, you don't like what happened to you? You didn't like the service? You're entitled to something better. Don't just sit there. Tell us. We'll tell everyone and you'll be famous. Email us and tell us about your delivery problem, your wife, your boss, your neighbor. Email us and tell us what's eating you. As if we need encouragement to kvetch when it just comes so naturally. You probably don't like entitlements very much. Well, you and I are not given the entitlement of complaining. Scotty Smith on his May 16th prayer said it this way, by your grace, keep me free from a spirit of entitlement. Amen. Where's your heart on this as you look and think about yourself? Do you sort of think sometimes you have the right to complain? Um, that you sort of deserve the things that you have and the things that God has blessed you with? Do you think sometimes that maybe that guy on the interstate exit sort of deserves his life? Um, we're commanded to do everything without complaining. And the bottom line is that we kvetch because we focus upon ourselves. Grumbling has been around for a very long time, but there is an alternative. The next question, what is the alternative to kvetching? Um, we have other options. We as the beloved children of God are to live lives of trust and thankfulness and gratitude and joy. And we'll be talking about that next week, but very briefly, I want to turn our minds and really our hearts, to consider all the things that we have to be thankful for. Um, and we would be here all day if we were to note them. But we have life today. We have bad weather, but we have shelter. We have food and we have clothing. We have each other. We live in a great country with freedoms and opportunities. And those freedoms were purchased by the lives of many men and women who gave their lives. That's why we celebrate Memorial Day. They gave us freedom to worship, which many places around the world do not have. We have the best medical care um, you can possibly imagine. And we could go on and on and on of the things that we have to be grateful for. But of course, our greatest blessing is that we have relationship with the Lord. We've been saved by his grace. And the psalmist tells us that if we were to count our blessings, they would outnumber the sand on the seashore. Over the years, I've loved the book of Habakkuk. We don't know a whole lot about um, Habakkuk. We're not sure even if that's how you say his name, but that's how I say it. Um, he struggles with what's going on around him. And it seems that God is not hearing his prayer. It seems that the ungodly nations are prospering while the people of God are struggling. And he talks to God about it. And then at the end of the book, um, in chapter three, it's a short book. 
he says some amazing things that show the work of the grace of God in his life. In chapter 3, verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, what he's saying here is, though my world has fallen apart, there is no money in the bank and there is no food in the refrigerator. He goes on, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Wow. Unlike Habakkuk, we generally think that if this happens or that happens, then I will be able to find joy and peace and to give thanks to the Lord, but not in the tough times. Uh, May we be like Habakkuk, joyful in God, our Savior, whatever the circumstance is. The beautiful thing about gratitude, it shows our heart, but gratitude also changes our hearts. That leads to the last question. How do we change? I said earlier that you don't outgrow it. You don't outgrow complaining and criticism, but you should be growing out of it. That is what our sanctification means. That is what Philippians and Paul mean. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This also has to do with what he means when he tells us to work out our salvation. We are saved at a point in time when God regenerates our hearts and we put our trust in Christ. But our growth in Christ is a process that takes a lifetime. And we are not to be passive in that growth. We are active participants. And Paul exhorts us to live as citizens of heaven, living at our lives, doing everything without grumbling or complaining. God causes the Philippians and us to work out the salvation for his good pleasure. And we must stop looking at just ourselves or just looking out for ourselves. We are citizens of his kingdom. May we be thankful for that and may we quit our kvetching. Now, in coming up with a solution, I don't have a one, two, three solution. Um, I found that most of those one, two, three solutions haven't worked in my life, but there is one answer that I want to point us to today. There's only one thing that we must focus on. We must go to the rabbi and we have a rabbi and he will never tell us to bring all the farm animals into the house, but he will tell us where our joy comes from. He will tell us who we are as the beloved children of God. He will tell us and even show us on the cross his love for us. We gather together every week for one purpose. And that is to look to Jesus, to hear and to heed the words of the rabbi. And when we consider what he has done for us, everything else that we have said that we're thankful for or could say pales because Jesus has loved us while we were yet sinners. Jesus has come and he's purchased our salvation. 
He's given us eternal life. He satisfies our thirst with living water and our hunger with the bread of life. Jesus takes what was dead, us, in our trespasses and sin, and he makes us alive. Jesus intercedes for us with the Father. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus gives light to our dark paths. And sometimes our paths are dark. I understand that. Paul ties our doing all things without grumbling and complaining with our shining as stars in the universe, he says, amidst a crooked and perverse generation. Just as the stars shine in the darkness and dispel that darkness, so we as God's children, the beloved, are to shine. And we are to banish spiritual and moral darkness. And that implies we go out into the world. Jesus says that we are the light of the world. And this shining is not just a light that is seen somewhere in a distance, but it is also a luminary that points the way for people. Just like the Bethlehem star led people to Jesus, so our lives should. As the light of the world, our actions, our not complaining, rather our praise and our gratitude are constantly proclaiming our maker and redeemer to a world that is dark and lost in sin. Jesus says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. Does your life point people to Jesus? Ponder that one for a second. Does your life point people to Jesus? Jesus is the true and eternal light of the world. And he tells us to walk in that light. It's all a a matter of the heart for us, is it not? Um, There's only one thing that changes our hearts, and that's a good look at Jesus. So this morning, as I ask myself where my heart is, where's your heart? What more could we possibly want? We've looked in so many nooks and crannies for joy and peace and contentment. And yet we still find ourselves being incessant covetures. The peace and joy we seek, it's only found in Jesus. We cannot look at Jesus and walk closely to him and be utterly given to coveting and complaining. He must change us. Thomas Akempis puts it this way as he takes on the voice of Jesus. He says, what are you saying, my child? Think of my suffering and cease complaining. You have not yet resisted to the shedding of blood. Jesus shed his blood for us without complaining or grumbling. A good look at the cross will change everything. Jesus is so much more beautiful and fulfilling and satisfying than all the other things that we seek. There's one thing we must do. We must go to the rabbi, the one who sits and rules and reigns in his occupied throne. Jesus changes everything. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, 
we come this morning thankful for what you have done for us, giving your life. Father, we ask that you would forgive us when we grumble against you. Forgive us when we feel entitled. Forgive us when we take your blessings for granted. Father, forgive us even more um, when we take you for granted. We ask that you would fill our hearts and our minds with yourself, with your joy and peace and grace. We ask that you would shine through us to a world in great need. May we, each one, point others to Jesus. May we point each other to Jesus and our world to Jesus. Father, we ask that we would be a church that is full of Jesus and would bring great honor and glory to you. For we pray in your matchless name. Amen.